You are listening to Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Hello, Worldwide Family. Welcome to this episode. My guest today is called Jonathan Cohen, who's a cannabis biochemist at a pharmaceutical company called Smart Medicines GMP Inc. On today's podcast, I got the chance to hear John's stories working in the industry for almost a decade now. And now he's been using nanotechnology and chemistry to produce and enhance cannabis-based products for his clients. One example of a product John has been working on is CBD and THC-based pills and beverages. And John got to share with me some of the different challenges he'd had to face developing those products. I honestly really enjoyed my conversation with John. He's a very smart and eloquent person. Uh, to speak with and we also kind of got a bit personal about our own personal opinions and our experiences with cannabis products and I'm glad to say that we're kind of both on the same page about that with that said ladies and gentlemen I hope you appreciate the podcast I'll be seeing you on the other side cheers John welcome to the podcast thanks for having me it's great to have you here you know I always love meeting people that completely change uh, the course of your plans you know never in my life would have thought that one of my first 10 guests on my podcast would be working in the cannabis industry listen uh, (laughs) a lot of people are working in it now i know huge booming uh market get used to it man (laughs) it is absolutely and when we met like two weeks ago we met for the first time had a coffee yeah and you were talking to me about you know all your cool projects working on some nanoparticle technology for cannabis and I was like, listen, I need to have this guy on the podcast. And like two weeks later, we're here. Here we are. Yeah, man. Dude, Again, thanks, thanks for, for coming. Me, for real. Yeah. Absolutely. You're welcome, man. So for people that don't know a lot about you, can you give us a brief um, you know, roadmap over you know, your education? What have you been doing lately? And how did you end up working in a cannabis company as a biochemist? So it's, a, it's an interesting story, actually. Uh, it didn't happen recently, uh, oddly enough. I've been working directly and indirectly with the cannabis industry since 2013, 2014. Uh, That is a bit of luck Mm -hmm. uh, mixed in with some hard work and some passion and so on and so forth, but uh, a lot of luck. It's actually an interesting story. So I was working um, at, you know, just regular nine to five jobs um, Mm -hmm. here and there throughout university coming in and out. And uh, in 2013, uh, a buddy of mine put an ad in the newspaper looking for tutors uh, for science courses. Mm. And somebody messaged him and said, hey, listen, um, I'm looking for a scientist to help me write some uh, procedures, so on and so forth. You think you could help me? And he was a bit too busy, so he threw the, the opportunity my okay. way. And it just so happens to be a guy who started one of the first uh, medical cannabis grow-ups in, in Montreal at the time. This was way before Trudeau I didn't even know he was going to be in office kind of thing you know and uh, lo and behold you know the the whole industry just kind of emerged from there and I was already two three years kind of ahead of the Mm -hmm. the curb so it must have probably been tricky at the beginning especially because cannabis was legalized in Canada two years ago yeah and before that it was probably very tricky getting funding for your company It, It it was it was only 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 medical right so so when we were we were operating under um, 
uh, I believe they were called the MMPR regulations at that point, and they, they kind of evolved so on and so forth in, until the Cannabis Act of, of uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because I, I actually remember seeing every six months the laws would change, the documents mm-hmm. would change, the, the, the requirements that were mm. needed to get a license were changing. Security went up. Then security didn't care so much. And then <laughs> science didn't matter. Now science matters a lot. You know, it's been a very interesting evolution. Finally, we're seeing a bit more of uh, the foundation is uh-huh. there and it's not changing so much now, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, that's interesting. What is the background? What's your background? Uh, my background is uh, biochemistry. Uh, I studied at uh, Concordia, Montreal. Um, Represent. Yeah, represent. I'm a, <laughs> I've been there for, I actually, I did, uh, I was there for a, a three, four year program, but I extended it to six years just because I was always like working full time in, in, in between kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I actually started my career um, in more of what we like to call quality assurance and compliance mm-hmm. side of, of stuff. So I worked in the vape industry for a little bit, like nicotine, mm-hmm. which was a nice kind of, uh, uh, preamble to mm-hmm. head into the cannabis side that would actually be interesting to talk about uh later yeah uh, the sure. vape it's uh, sure, it's, uh sure. it's also an interesting industry so what are some examples of the projects you work on today what's your day-to-day responsibilities when you go to the office well the company that i work for um i used to say that it, that it's an unfortunate thing but i'm actually kind of glad that it's like this now we don't work directly in the cannabis industry we work indirectly in the cannabis okay. industry. So what, what does this mean? Companies that have licenses, companies that work directly to consumer or business to business specifically, um, consult us to do some interesting R&D work uh, within that space. So I'd actually mm-hmm. say that we're more of a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. that has strong ties to uh, the cannabis industry. So what does that mean? Um, that means that... Um, let's say one in every five projects or two in every five projects are not related to cannabis at all. Mm. Uh, sometimes they're uh, protein related, uh, protein isolation. Uh, we're working on a, you know, a, a neat project um, kind of out of the scope of what we'll be speaking about, but um, things to do with the milk industry and the dairy industry. It's uh, something else that's kind of changing in, in Canada. It's an interesting thing to look into. Um, but when it comes to cannabis, let's say, um, uh, the projects that we'll work on, either they're related to a specific company that's looking to do something mm-hmm. or um, an endeavor that we believe is worth looking into and that a, a client will come eventually. Uh, so we've got these kind of two angles on the cannabis industry. So, for example, uh, without giving you know too much information, of course, um, uh, a company that works closely with uh, a large supplier in Canada uh, was looking to make their pills uh, stronger, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. Now, And those were THC pills, right? Uh, started as CBD, but the point is to eventually move to, to THC. Okay. It just, it's just easier to work with. Um, so it's something you take? Uh, yeah. So it's a pill you take instead of you having to smoke a joint? Yeah. You take that pill and you get the same exactly. psychoactive effects. Yeah, exactly. And, okay. and, uh, and those you can already buy at any of the retail stores. But the interesting thing about uh, about these, the, well, it, it's actually a more what's interesting about the law that 
governs processed cannabis. Uh, as of now, and there doesn't seem any time to change it, uh, the maximum al uh, allowance of THC that you're allowed to put in pills right now is 10 milligrams. Mm -hmm. um, for the layman, that's a very low amount in comparison to what people mm. often take. Uh, it seems right now that 50 milligrams to 100 milligrams is something where there's some kind of therapeutic or recreational value to. Mm -hmm. But if the pills are only you know 10 milligrams, then the ergonomics aren't there yet. You, you got to take like five pills to, you know. And right. You think think of Tylenol, right? Think of Advil. Think of any pills that you take. Like you take one or you take two. Right. You don't you take know? seven. You don't take seven. <laughs> you take seven. You, you're abusing something. Right? <laughs> Whereas here, it's it's a, a bit of a tricky thing right because the law says that you can't for cbd it's a different ball game uh -huh. um you're allowed to do whatever you want but for the psychoactive uh, thc delta 9 specifically 10 milligrams so i'm actually curious about that do you know um it would make sense why they would limit that but do you know why uh they would put the limit of 10 milligrams i believe and this is coming from a guy who's seen the rules change so often. Mm -hmm. They act with fear because if you act with uh, bravado, you can find problems later on that you'll have to fix. Whereas fear, the only thing that really gets affected is making money. But mm -hmm. you know, the government doesn't care about making money. Health Canada certainly doesn't care about making money. They care about the safety of people, and I, I have to agree. You know, uh, 100 milligrams is, is very strong. It's addictive too. I mean, in terms uh, of... Addictive is another story. Uh, I can't really comment on that, but very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, with, with 100 milligrams, you could like experience uh, um, almost hallucinations even at that point. You know, like closed eye hallucinations. Interesting, you okay. Know, so, um, but in terms of medical you know, therapeutic yield. I've read several studies that a hundred milligram doses, uh, throughout the day, uh, have shown in vitro to fight cancer, uh, kill tumors. You know. Okay. We're early on in that kind of science, but it's very interesting to see that, you know, a molecule that comes from a plant that was once illegal for mm -hmm. several decades is now showing, you know, a whole new slew of, absolutely of, uh, of pharmaceutical yield. You know, for, for me, I don't really care so much about the, the biomass, the flower, the plant. I me, mean, I care about, you know, medication. Right. So it's an interesting time. So you were saying um, you were working this with this client and um, you were helping them develop products. And one of the right, so challenges the you were facing was this government limit of 10 milligrams of THC. Exactly. So, okay. so we were thinking, you know, kind of cleverly... Um, well, if we can't increase the amount uh, per, per capsule or per pill, perhaps there's a way to make um, the pill more potent and by doing so with what we call bioavailability. Um, so, so what does that mean? Um, essentially, when you take uh, anything into your body, whether it's medication or it's food, it's water, water is actually not a good example, but, uh, you know, your body has a certain um, a certain uh, qualitative or quantitative amount that it can take, and the efficiency of how much it can take uh, governs 
the what we call the bioavailability, mm -hmm. how much your body can absorb the nutrients or absorb the medication. So right now, studies have shown that cannabis being uh, smoked and it being absorbed through the lungs, it's got about, let, let's say, 25 to 30% bioavailability. Mm -hmm. So it means if you took 100 milligrams and you smoked 100 milligrams, well, 30% of that you'll be absorbing directly in, into your body. Okay. As an engineer, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's efficiency. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Whereas, you know, and then there's problems, you know, smoking is not good for you, the lungs, right? So you want to move to an, a, a much more medical enthusiast direction, right? Mm -hmm. And so pills and capsules is definitely the way to go, right? Well, there's a problem there, right? The bioavailability for cannabis right now, as we know it, in pills is like 6%, mm. 7%, you know? So, so you're wasting, you're wasting quite a bit mm -hmm. of, of the API just from not absorbing it. Mm -hmm. Simply put, um, there's something called the first pass effect. And that's when molecules go from uh, your stomach to the liver and your liver is just very efficient at cleaving stuff and just kind of destroying molecules. Uh, so we, tried to think, okay, well, if that's, if that's the problem that we have, maybe we can figure out some kind of formulation that can protect the THC. So I can protect it from stomach acids, protect it from um, enzymatic cleavage uh, in the first pass effect in the liver. And then once it gets to the intestines, just let it go, let mm. it free, you know? And so, uh, yeah, this is a lot of the groundbreaking work that we were doing, you know, coming up with uh, neat formulas to... What was your solution? Well, the solution after many, many, many tries, we finally honed in on a, on a formula that, um, that made very, very small uh, particles. I think our particle size towards the end of it was about 35 nanometers, mm -hmm. which is uh, quite small, um, both uh, small in, in terms of, uh, you know, just, just the, the term nanometers, but it's also a very small unit in terms of uh, mm -hmm. passing through the, the phospholipid bilayer of the, the intestines, specifically of the lumen. Um, and it's interesting because I did some tests prior to all this stuff. Let's say flashback a year ago. Mm -hmm. I took CBD, I put it in water. Mm -hmm. And then I ran it in this thing, it's called DLS. Um, it's just a, it like, in a nutshell, sends light and sees light scattering in it. And it lets you kind of know how big the particles Interesting. are. Okay. okay. So think think water and salt. Mm -hmm. You see the salt in the water, mm -hmm. you mix the water, salt disappears, right? To the naked eye, it disappears, but you could, in theory, use some nifty, clever chemistry to see how big, molecularly speaking, the clumps are in between the water, mm -hmm. right? So we did something similar with CBD and water and an oil. And we found that the particles of CBD without our nano, nanoparticle formula was uh, reaching like two micrometers. Okay. And like chemically speaking, like, like molecular speaking, it's huge. Like things don't just like pass nicely at, in micrometer size. It's mm -hmm. really big. Whereas in nanometer size, if you can really bring it down to like that kind of solubility, then it's great. And, uh, you know, and it, it's shown to kind of protect where we're now in the in what we call in vivo testing. Okay. So we've tried um, 
in vitro. It's like cell cultures in a little glass thing, you know, okay. one, of, one of those things. Um, and in vivo is, you know, when you test um, preclinically and clinically and so on. Okay, so you, so you, by just putting a layer of something on mm -hmm. top of the THC, yep. you were able to increase the absorbance of the body, right? So how yeah. much the body was absorbing? I, I think we're like now at the same level as the smoking, which mm. is actually groundbreaking because now you know that whether it's smoking or ingesting, eventually when we go to market, so on and so forth, that you can have two actually tangible options mm. of getting, you know, high dosage of medication. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're about, I think, 30, 35%. That's cool. And you were telling me something about, um, before that, you were saying, you were talking about CBD and THC beverages, for example. You were telling oh, me. Oh, yeah. Um, so your company works in R&D, right? Research and development. Yep. And you were telling me yesterday how CBD and THC is not lipophilic, right? Uh, it, it is lipophilic. It is lipophilic. Exactly. So it so doesn't like water. It doesn't like, well... To, to not like water, technically, if you want to use the right terms, and I'm just going to be a stickler for okay. it, you'll say hydrophobic. Okay. Hydrophobic means that you don't like water. Lipophilic means that you like oil. Uh, But you can see where I'm coming with this. Like, okay. if you're lipophilic, you're probably hydrophobic. Interesting. Okay. You know, it's just two, two flips of the coin. Okay. <laughs> okay. It makes sense. So, you were telling me how hard it is to develop CBD and THC beverages. Yeah, absolutely. In, in water. In sure. water. Yeah, because you know, because of what we just said, that it likes uh, an oil phase. It dislikes the the polarity of water. Simply put, and so um, there's kind of clever chemistry that can come into to a case on how you can kind of fix this. Of which the one that I saw recently that I thought was quite interesting is that they took THC. And they, they bound the, the molecule, mm -hmm. um, covalently speaking, like they, they made almost like a new molecule, but, but something that doesn't hold so strong um, to sugar. I don't remember which sugar. I think it was, I want to say maltodextrin, but don't quote me on it. It might have been cyclodextrin. It was, it was a dextrin family, though, for sure. And they, so they, they kind of made this this new interaction between them that now it's quite soluble in water. Mm. Um, so we, we were doing tests. I don't remember the numbers, so, so don't call me on this one, but I, I took pure CBD in powder form, or crystalline form, and, and I put it in water and tried to see how far I can take the solubility. And if we convert all the numbers back to like a classic 330 ml can of Coke, let's say. Okay. Um, I think we like just got to the 10 milligram per milliliter amount. Okay. Which means that in the whole can, like you were able to put quite a bit. Okay. Um, but now with this technology of making it like quite soluble, um, I, I think even at the, at the store at the SQDC, they have like pretty, pretty strong stuff. So like now, now it's, it's becoming a bit more, Of a, of a classic concept, but the people who are holding patents on those are, are doing pretty sure 
pretty well right now. It's crazy how quickly the industry is moving. You know, the it's going away from the flower. The flower. Uh, that's, that's yeah. Not- you know, it's interesting. I do not consume uh, cannabis uh, very rarely, like once or twice a year. And the last time I went to the SQDC, and for people who don't know what SQDC means, it means uh, it's it's the it's Société Société Québec de Cannabis. Uh, it's it's the retail stores in, in, Quebec, in Quebec where you can buy cannabis exactly and last time I was there they actually had no beverages and nothing consumable it was oh. still yeah it was still only the flour you buy the flour you can okay so so so, so it was like that in uh, like right when they opened yeah exactly but two months ago around two months ago a month and a half they started uh, hitting the stores uh, with processed goods uh, they had hashish they had um They had a uh, keef. You know what keef is? It's like um, when you take the flour and you put it in a grinder, all that like um, golden powder. Oh, right. You know, so pressed keef is, is at the uh, stores now. Um, the, the beverages as well. And I think the next wave is going to be like full-blown edibles, like, uh, like gummy bears and the plethora of cookies and fudge <laughs> cakes and all that kind of stuff. Is that something your company is developing? Um, not so much because I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say developing, right? Like it's not hard to make a cookie, right? Like <laughs> anybody can make a cookie, but it's where, where we position ourselves is like, okay, if you need something to be done to this cookie, um, uh, I'll give you a good example, a really good example. <laughs> um, so we were, I think we were talking a bit about the analogs, right? So, so what an analog is by definition in chemistry is a molecule that, Uh, was cleverly synthesized in, in, a, in a lab that's not quite the original from nature mm-hmm. and can often do some interesting stuff. A good example I like to tell people is, because um, we all know what aspirin is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so aspirin, the molecule, that, that uh, the active uh, pharmaceutical ingredient is um, um, acetyl salicylic acid. Now, that's a molecule that we have made um, mm-hmm. over the last, let's say, 100 years or so. But salicylates and salicylic acid um, is naturally occurring in, like, tree barks. You know, uh, people, like, you know, Native Americans claim to have been using it for you know, thousands of years to okay. cure all sorts of stuff, like tea and uh, using teas and stuff like that. Um, but we found a way to make uh, a synthetic molecule that's more potent or is more bioavailable or can just be more efficient at what it does right mm-hmm. usually the way that that it works is that you'll try and make it something in the lane of its metabolic pathway so like you take a molecule from a all the way to z where you either absorb it or flush it down the toilet that whole process has a whole slew of molecules that it becomes until the end right mm-hmm. so you try and find one that's really like that, that skips a couple of slow steps and then just sends it quickly into into the bloodstream right so with cannabis analogous to this is that we can start or we're already starting to make uh, molecules that are that start from the natural THC and is now this brand new molecule that nature has never seen before that through in, in vivo studies, we'll see that maybe it can help cure different types of cancers or different types of uh, illnesses 
while mitigating the psychoactive effects so that you can start taking amounts of this new molecule that we've created that you could never have taken if it was in THC form, mm -hmm. right? Remember back to what I was saying, the 100 milligrams, sure, it might help, but you'll be stoned for, uh, <laughs> you know, six, six, six hours easy. <laughs> Whereas if we can find, you know, interesting ways to make new molecules uh, that have therapeutic yield, but don't have the psychoactive effects, you could start taking 500 milligrams of it, mm -hmm. you know, That's similar to acetaminophen. You know, and you know, I find that actually extremely interesting because the only times I use cannabis, I actually go for the CBD. I do not necessarily sure. appreciate the psychoactive effects it has. I personally do not like the high. It's not for everyone. It's not for me. I, I'll I'll be the first to tell you. I don't yeah, exactly. Like, uh, it's it's yeah. definitely something personal. But I but knowing the benefits that comes from CBD from you know uh, from cbd mm -hmm. you know those are the things i usually try to supplement on and i've actually interest interestingly i've been testing cbd oil you know um, cool. one thing sqdc has is cbd oil and it's something i've been testing i've tested it for a few weeks and it wasn't it was giving me it was it was disturbing my sleep bizarrely i don't know if you have an explanation for that no nope. it was giving me no. very vivid nightmares interesting yeah and it was disturbing my sleep which is sorry to hear wow which is counterintuitive because you'd expect cbd to actually help helps relax you it helps right. you know it helps lowers well, did, your body did temperature you, did you feel anxiety after taking it not necessarily no. i would just wake up in the morning and be like groggy i guess groggy yes <laughs> and i was like whoa that was a very that was a very um it was like that was a vivid evening Hmm. You know, and I would actually start testing because I like testing things on myself, you know, and I would start testing one day. I would take CBD and I would see how my sleep would be impacted. And the next okay. day I wouldn't take and I actually would wake up feeling refreshed. Huh. And it's actually interesting because right now I'm wearing the Aura Ring. Have you heard of the Aura Ring? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's a ring that has a bunch of sensors in it. And oh, okay. It, it's, a, it's a sleep sleep tracker. It helps you know exactly how many hours of deep sleep did you get, how many REM sleep. Um, okay. how many light sleep and how much time were you awake and i've been noticing when i do supplement on cbd spikes on cbd yeah yeah it would give me a higher percentage of rem sleep rapid eye movement that's the dream state right, right, right. versus deep sleep so you would notice physiological changes and my ring would actually capture that because you can see trends interesting so, so for you it, it was working negatively it was yeah i just i don't know why i think maybe it has to do with the oil maybe it was the quality Interesting. um i i'm i would oh. definitely it's definitely something i would try again with a different brand well i i feel um and this is just coming from we'll, we'll get into it uh in more detail but uh my uh my trust in the industry right now is quite low on the on the retail side like the the end user Mm -hmm. I just feel like the products aren't quality assured in such a way that I almost have a feeling that what you took, even though it said CBD oil on it, I don't know. I have this, this gut feeling that some of the things in the stores aren't exactly what they say they are. They might have a bit of THC in them and maybe the testing wasn't done properly or something. Um, I feel like that might have been 
something, but but you said there was no anxiety. You didn't feel high. Not or really. No, not really. It hmm. doesn't doesn't give you a high. What has your experience with uh, well with cannabis been? You know, one thing that actually surprised me is that you you work on the forefront of the industry. You develop products. You make products more potent, more efficient. But you actually told me that you don't consume often. So I uh, yeah I, I I don't I consumed for several years though. So let's. Let's put it, let's make it, you know, to set the record straight here. Uh, I'm a stoner at heart. I've been smoking my whole <laughs> life. Um, but I feel, and you'll see on, on all the labels, and in the same way that, you know, cigarettes uh, say, you know, cause cancer and lungs, so on and so forth. With, with cannabis, like all the, all the plastic packaging says, you know, like may cause uh, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, like, you know, be, be careful. Well, I was smoking. Um, you know, uh, at such a young age, I think I started smoking at like 13 years old in high school. It's very young. Yeah. And so, um, sure, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of the industry, but I, I absolutely think one of the most important things uh, that the industry needs to make clear is to people that are 12 and 13 year olds right now, that it's important that they don't smoke until their brains have fully developed and that they can actually go into this experience with you know something to take out of it because sure I enjoyed it as a as a kid but now I take one hit of any type of cannabis uh, high CBD low THC whatever it is gives me anxiety and it's something that I've just learned to um, come to terms with you know um, why do you think that happened to you I I don't know I I, I think it could be a, as simple as biology. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's predisposed in my uh, in my my family. Maybe it's was that something you would experience when you were younger, or now is it something a, that's you a developed? Question. Yeah. No, I did not at all. Which is interesting. I uh, developed this over time. Okay. So I went from you know loving it, having great times, making good memories, uh, um, having you know very thought provoking uh, ideas, and, and I'm sure that has made me you know for better or worse the guy that I am today. Uh, I'll never take that back, but definitely the the anxiety. It started, I'd say, in my early 20s. So, like, let's say 20, 22 years old is when I started to realize, hmm, it's making me lethargic. It's making me, like, overanalyze situations. Uh, uh-huh. and, and then it started to become, you know, not so productive and more right. hindering to myself. Uh, but I know that uh, it's and, – and I've, and I've really tested this one. It is not the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. All of my friends that I'm still in touch with, that we used to smoke, who still smoke, nobody has this experience except for me. So it's really, you know, uh, a couple of people out of a, a large selection of people experience these kinds of things. It's it's how it is with almost anything, right? Mm-hmm. Alcoholism as well, right? Um, but yeah, uh, for that reason, uh, I don't consume. Uh, I once, maybe once every couple of months... Uh, I'll take a hit from, you know, uh, my brother's joint or, you know, <laughs> my, my girlfriend's joint. And, and I always regret it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. So w- w- don't you feel like you're missing out on some of the good things? Because especially from CBD, you know. Well, CBD I'll take. Uh, I have CBD oil um, mm-hmm. that I made myself in the lab. Um, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have these like 30, 30 milligrams per ml drops that I, I take every morning. 
for me, they're, they're great. Calms me down, keeps me even. Um, I feel like it also helps me um, with my digestive system. I'm not sure how exactly, but I, I, I suffer from, uh, uh, what's it called, bowel uh, BDS? B, what, what, is, what is that? Uh, I wouldn't know. No, it's a bowel disorder. I just get like pains and stomach cramps. Okay. Uh, just like bad Jewish uh, digestion. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, CBD helps really well uh, for, for stuff like that. Um, but yeah, THC is not for me. <laughs> That's cool. I respect that, man. <laughs> You told me yesterday on the phone uh, that you're currently working on uh, some intellectual property for cannabis tests. Oh, yeah. Um, What's yeah, that um, about? So um, it, it's nothing too too crazy. Uh, any chemists out there that'll, that'll see this podcast will kind of agree with me that it's, it's nothing so uh, unattainable. Um, but essentially, we, um, we came up with a novel testing method on HPLC. Uh, HPLC stands for high pressure liquid chromatography. Uh, essentially, it's, it's a machine that you run a sample through. It's got a stationary phase and a mobile phase. And through the mobile phase running through the stationary phase, it can just split stuff up pretty well. And when it splits stuff up, you can kind of uh, analyze what's coming through and see how much of whatever you sent into this machine was in the sample. Uh, that's the complicated version. Simply put, it runs samples on cannabis and tells you what the percentage of THC, THCA, CBD, CBDA, CBG, CBN, all, all the all the cannabinoids. Um, so um, the novelty of what we figured out is that this method is quite short. Mm -hmm. Right now, I've seen maybe like 11 minutes to 15 minutes uh, of testing. I've seen as high as 22 minutes of Wait, testing. so the moment you put the test in, it takes a machine 15 minutes to analyze the sample. Right, exactly. Oh. So so this is like, this has nothing to do with the preparation prior. I'm oh. talking about like the moment you inject that sample in, you sit there and twiddle your thumbs for 15 <laughs> minutes and let the machine do its thing, okay. right? So you can imagine from a business perspective, if you've got, you know, four machines running in a lab per day, you know, it's not that many tests that you can run, assuming that you want to take from each uh, batch of a cultivar from you know, a licensed producer, you want to make sure that you're running good, concise chemistry, you want to run triplicates, you know, it, it, there's just no time, mm -hmm. right? 15 minutes is, is just way too long. That's four tests an hour, right? An eight hour day. So you need to have a test that just does it faster. So we found a way, we found a method uh, through our HPLC to bring the tests down to about five or six minutes, which now gives, you know, if, you know, if, if timed properly, you know, three more tests That's great. in that 15 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So um, right now we're working on a, uh, on the patent. I, I think we're, we're at the stage of, of, uh, of nice. submitting it. Uh, which is great, super happy, finally close up that project. Um, but the interesting thing is the, that the, the tests that I ran, what, like once I knew that this worked and that like our method was sound and precise, um, we started to run tests at the SQDC oh. uh, on, on products there. And I was just like so surprised um, to, to see that 
our tests were working, you know, properly, um, efficiently, and then even more so, we also found some problems at the stores while doing this test. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to give any any names uh, <laughs> on on this one, but uh, I went to the SQDC and I bought like um, about a thousand five hundred dollars of product just so that I had final product that had a label on it so that I can, you know, be assured that when I'm running my tests, at least my tests are working, right? So some of them worked flawlessly, right? Within, you know, 98% uh, accuracy, uh -huh. while others were completely off. So I thought, hmm, like, is it my test? Am I, am, I, uh. am I not doing, you know, the right work here? So I kept running them and I get the same numbers back and forth. So I sent them to a lab um, uh, that a buddy of mine has. Who did they just run tests. I was like, yo, can you just run this sample really quick? Like, <laughs> let me know if I'm kind of losing my mind here. And um, he got the same values. It started to make me realize, and this is, you know, coming back to why I said that my trust in uh -huh. the industry is a little bit low. Uh, I, I ran like almost 70% of what the stores are offering to consumers. Uh, and these consumers aren't chemists like me. They don't have access to these machines to just, you know, dick around and mm -hmm. do whatever Absolutely. they're doing. They see a label they assume that the label is is true and they should have trust in the label right like if not for that then what's the point and i remember seeing um at least 10 that were over 100 percent uh source of error so that's that's equivalent to like uh there was a um there was a, a company that had like they they said on their label like eight percent and I just kept reading 16.5%. Oh, that's off. You know, like, <laughs> that's really like off. it's, it's so off, you know, like, it, like, it's not, it, it's like the equivalent of, of buying a beer and, oh, sorry, it's like 40% <laughs> alcohol. Like, <laughs> sorry. You know, if, if at least it was the opposite, the consumer could be angry and that's it. You know, if you're trying to buy 16% and it's 8%, fine. You bought vodka and it's like beer. Uh -huh. But there's a real danger for buying a beer that's as strong as vodka. You yeah. Know what I mean? So um, this is, you know, I, I guess an ongoing investigation. But it all came from while we started this patent because all I needed was just cannabis to use as tests. And we kind of discovered this interesting uh, I can just see problem. you walk into the store and coming out of it with $1,500 of... Uh, Fun fact, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. You're allowed $500 max. So I had to go back three times, two times. So $500 per visit. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I actually, I went to three different stores just to, uh, to have no bias kind uh, of thing, you know, see uh -huh. if maybe I could get different SKUs and whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. cool, man. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that surprised me this year, uh, it was my last semester of engineering at university. Okay. And Congratulations, by the way. You're thank you so much, John. Thank you. It feels good. Um, I had a course called Building Envelopes. So it has everything to do with the materials used in the outside surface of the building. So if you want to insulate your building okay. from outside cold, okay, you know, yeah. here it's minus 40 in winter. How do you keep the indoor air quality, the indoor air temperature decently, um, right, right. you know, at a decent temperature? So we basically studies the materials of buildings. And, you know, I was actually pretty surprised when my professor which was pretty old school, okay. started talking about uh, hemp insulation and hemp wood. Interesting. You know, things like that. And uh, it, it, like, it, it was a whole PowerPoint slide about you oh. know, hemp products. And I was wondering, what do you know exactly about hemp products and how they're making their ways inside of 
well, the industry, you know? I'm not, I would definitely not call myself uh, an expert in this, in this domain, but I, I read quite a bit and get to see, you know, some, some friends and colleagues of mine in the industry are working on. Um, the classic, you know, like t-shirts and of hemp and, and the plethora of products in, in that domain, I won't cover those, but I did see something interesting recently uh, that kind of ties into your insulation. Um, uh, there's a company from Colorado that's um, making some kind of uh, of uh, of um, like a wood, like a like a hemp wood, mm-hmm. and apparently it's uh, it's quite strong. And they were showing that they can build houses out of it, which I thought was quite interesting. It's kind of it kind of looks like um, what's what's that wood uh, that we were talking about. Uh, earlier it's just like pressed uh plywood yeah plywood it, yeah. yeah exactly um so it's it's like a plywood it looked like plywood as far as i was concerned but apparently it's really really robust and so it, it made me think okay i think at this point if you know developing countries would start mm-hmm. to change their laws as well and grow this this crop a lot of their buildings and infrastructures could just be straight up made out of this product from what I remember from my class, mm-hmm. um, hemp products are more sustainable because you're basically using waste, right? Yeah, you're exactly. using waste from the plant. Yeah, it's it's what you would use to compost, if not nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So you're using waste. It's easily recyclable. Absolutely. You know, there's even a company that's creating hemp concrete. Imagine hmm. concrete, yeah, made out of hemp, recycled in hemp. Interesting. I didn't, didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's a thing. Um, much more sustainable, much more renewable, easy to easy to recycle. I guess the only downside right now, as of twenty twenty, is the cost. Um, you know, Too expensive, right? Eh? It's I would assume you know it's the processing, the, man. It's it's you know it's easy to grow something out of the ground, and even then, it's got its own uh, types of problems. But then it's it's the it's the processing ideas that's Mm -hmm. like there's just so much of supply chain Mm -hmm. that has to get optimized to do it right like uh you grow it i'll give you a good example there's uh these guys i know um that are starting this like massive massive operation in the congo okay okay when i say massive i'm talking like 500 hectares of land just growing uh, hemp and, and cannabis products. That's surprising. And to me, I'm thinking, okay, uh, like maybe I'm missing something. I, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not the most like, you know, uh, uh, business inclined guy and more of a scientist. But the idea is that they're going to grow crops there. They're going to process them there, you know, fill up, uh, you know, uh, those those blue drums there, like the 400 liter drum kind of thing. And then bring all the crude oil into Canada and then process it here. And I think, to me, that makes a lot of sense so long as the the supply chain is not disrupted with something like COVID, let's say. You know? mm-hmm. But now that I've seen this kind of, you know, especially now with the, the whole pandemic, it begs the question about doing overseas supply chains for stuff like this you know I, I can't in good reason have to set up a whole 
set up there for compliance, you know, it's the Congo. I don't know. I agree. And <laughs> especially know? a lot of those countries, like, they, they're, still, they're not even thinking about cannabis laws and cannabis no, legalization. No. They're, they're like minimum 20 years behind yeah, at this exactly. point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it's only a handful. How many countries have legalized uh, cannabis? Canada? Amsterdam uh, well, specifically, I believe. Yeah, Amsterdam specifically. Um, I believe the country of Georgia just uh, announced something. Israel is uh, around the corner. Um, California. Yeah, I mean, the States is weird. Uh, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it would have been legalized by uh-huh. now. I'm surprised that we beat them to it. Uh, it's it's inevitable. Like it's it's around the corner for the U.S. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, it's just a matter of when, mm-hmm. not how, or the, if. Yeah, it's not. It's not. A, it's not, definitely not an if. It's more of a how and a when. Uh-huh. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, it was done pretty flawlessly, flawlessly, uh, in Canada. You know, they announced that weed was going to be illegal in in a three months notice. Yeah. And then three months after, we all of a sudden had a few stores open. So imagine me, man. I was like already (laughs) in the industry working, literally tending to at at that point because I was still young in the industry. I was just helping out, you know, in any way that I could. If it was, you know, uh, potting uh, plants or watering these plants or writing documents or mopping the floors, whatever it was. Like I just worked in this company. Right. And then when they announced that, when Trudeau made that like, do you remember that video? Like the, the first video where he mm-hmm. said it, we were like jaw dropped, <laughs> you know? And yeah, history from there, man. It's pretty interesting. Very interesting time. I think the coolest thing though, by far, and you got to ask yourself this question, uh-huh. why is the pharmaceutical industry, the Mercs and the Pfizer's and the so on and so forth, the, the, the Novartis's, right? Why aren't they in the cannabis industry? Right? Why is the tobacco industry not in the cannabis industry? Why? Well, people think that it's the early bird who gets the worm, but it's the second mouse who gets the cheese because the first mouse mm. always hits the traps. Mm. And that's interesting. After two years, I can tell you that everyone hit the traps. I know a guy who made a million dollar vault with like iris sensors and. and crazy like mission impossible stuff that was some kind of like uh, added value for when you get a um uh health canada to come and inspect your place but they just over time just brought down the regulations and brought down security measures and realized that like they were a little bit outdated and overzealous for what they were trying to do and so all these guys spent like a fortune just building these really awesome state-of-the-art pharmaceutical style buildings with no means of operation, with no means of figuring out supply Mm -hmm. chain, with no means of doing business to client or business to business yet at that point because they didn't have their license. So they put millions of dollars into this building and and, and no sales, right? Now these guys are standing on their last leg, not sure where they're going to go. This is the time. This is the, in the next year, you're going to see all these pharmaceutical companies are just going to come and scoop everybody up, yeah. fix all the problems. They're like, okay, cool. You're like 80% of the way there. Thank you for doing all your work. I'll add the extra 20, get lost, Let's, <laughs> you know, make some money. Yeah. Mark Capitalism. Yeah. yeah that's, that's how it was for so many other industries in the past course. anyway. So 
not, alcohol. Not surprised. Yeah, I mean, uh, even even like the the vape industry. Oh yeah. You know, like. Uh, you want to talk about that? Uh, I don't know much anymore at this point. It's been it's been some some time now. But uh, no, I worked. That that was my first job um, as a as a quality assurance um, uh, officer because um, you need to have um, with your your manufacturing line a whole separate uh, team that just makes sure that things are running smoothly. And by smoothly, I mean like quantifying the final products, making sure that, you know, things uh, meet compliance. Uh, if, if something, if a label says that it's this concentration, is it really this concentration? Uh-huh. So that was kind of my first uh, step into it. Uh, it kind of helped me build a lot of the the things I know now, uh, a lot of um, compliance like ISO 9001 and uh, what GMP really is all about, GPP and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, now now um, I've, I utilized a lot of that kind of stuff um, in what I do now. Although we don't do much manufacturing, and thankfully so, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the headaches involved in manufacturing mm-hmm. anymore. It's a lot. It is. It's a lot. A lot of recall oriented stuff you gotta make sure doesn't happen and documents 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 yeah implementation implementation i, I like being an r&d man r&d is nice <laughs> you're at the forefront of the industry yeah you get to see cool stuff at small scale things that never works and that actually will doesn't end up work nobody success. needs to know yeah, exactly <laughs> i get you man listen man where can people find you uh linkedin is probably the best place to uh find me uh what i, I don't know my link man hold john on john cohen let's see got it somewhere let's get your uh, if you're, if you're, your if you're looking to get in touch with me dial now no. <laughs> <laughs> um no i can be found on linkedin uh, my name is jonathan cohen i'm a senior project manager at smart medicines gmp inc and uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up. That's lovely, man. Thank you for being on the podcast, dude. Hey, thanks so much, man.